Peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth. Uh, it's Saturday night, so we're going to focus on the things Jesus had to say, the gospel, the red letters. We've made it to the book of, of Luke, and we're up to chapter 8. It's the third book in the New Testament, if you want to read along with me. Let's begin with verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. So that he is Jesus, he's on the move with the 12 disciples preaching the gospel, these red letters. Verse 2, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So it's letting us know here in verse 2 that it's not just the 12 main male disciples, there are also women that followed along faithfully with Jesus, even one who'd been exorcised of demons. Um, verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So not just one or two women, um, but a faithful crowd of uh, both genders and sexes of people are following Jesus faithfully. Verse 3. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. So now a crowd of people are, are following Jesus is following Jesus, and Jesus is teaching, and he's using a parable um, to help break down a big picture idea and simplify it. Verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds there devoured it. So imagine a farmer um, spreading seed in the field, not planting, digging or planting one by one, but instead just randomly almost seemingly scattering the seed along the way and as when you scatter that way not all of the seed are going to take root some of them are going to be devoured by the nature the animals are going to fly swoop down on them and eat them verse six some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up it withered away because it lacked moisture so among those seeds that are being spread out some of them are landing on rocks. Well, the rock doesn't have any soil, so the seed that sprouts on it isn't going to make it. It's going to wither. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. So some will avoid the rocks, avoid the birds, make it into the ground, and actually uh, spring up. But when they spring up, they're surrounded by thorns, things that hog up the space and don't add any fruit but um, choke off the life of other healthy plants. So those didn't make it either. Verse 8, but others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So it seems to me what Jesus is saying, just like those seeds, they get scattered all around uh, for growing. They don't all take root and grow and survive. The, the majority don't make it. Similarly, with the faith that spread around uh, the world, uh, many people know there, there is a God, but just knowing there is a God isn't enough to make them, to save them. Um, they don't make it. Other elements snatch the faith away from them, snatch the life away from them. Verse 9, then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? So now the disciples, they don't always understand the things Jesus is saying either. So they're asking him, what does he mean by this 
seed, these seeds that uh, were planted by the sower. Verse 10, he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus is saying that's why he uses parables, not to intentionally confuse other people who are listening, but instead to break it down so that it's simplified and to be understood. And it's it's done that way because the disciples who are closest to him walking with him, talking with him and seeing his miracles, presumably would have um, more understanding of what the teacher means when he says these things, whereas other people who are further off may not get it. So to help make it un, uh, more understandable, Jesus uses parables. Now he's going to explain the parable. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So Jesus is making it clear now what the parable actually means. And when the seed, the seed that was being spread by that sower, the farmer, uh, it represents, he's talking about the word of God. These red letters. Verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So, um, just like those first seeds were snatched up by the birds, the devil snatches up the faith that some people have when they first uh, when they first get exposed that seed of faith that there is a God. It doesn't go anywhere. Some people know there's a God and reject it. That faith is snatched away. Verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy and have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So just like he's what in the parable with the seeds that uh, fell on the rocks, um, they still sprang up. So that um, knowledge that there is a God resulted in something initially that people did believe, um, but then something drew them away. Just like the seed that fell on the rock withered away, something else along the way um, drew drew that faith away, the growth of that faith away on the rock in that parable. Verse 14, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So as in the parable, some seeds fell among thorns and got choked off which hindered them from growing, their faith from proceeding. Similarly, when some people are exposed to the faith that there is a God and the red letters of salvation, uh, receive it joyfully and then uh, begin to grow and seem to accept it. But um, other things get in the way. They get distracted by other goals and interests. And so their faith doesn't ever grow to maturity doesn't just like a plant that begins to spring up and grow but then it dies verse 15 but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruit with patience so again the minority of the plants of the seeds that are sown of people who have exposure to the fact that there is a god the faith that there is salvation that there's an afterlife and a way to get there only a small portion of those who get that initial exposure actually make it and end up bearing fruit, just like the plants, just like the seeds that were sown. Verse 16, no one when he's a little lamp 
covers the little vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on the lampstand that those who enter may see the light. So um, Jesus is moving on to more um, uh, parables. And in this one, the, the comparison of faith is um, being made with a candle, with a lamp, with a light that you don't turn on a light in a room or you don't turn on a light in the closet then close the door on the closet and walk around in the dark. Same thing with a room. You wouldn't turn on the light in a room, then close the door and walk outside in the dark. You turn on the light in the room so that you can see to uh, guide you. Uh, verse 17, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So Jesus is saying, though some things are concealed, um, they will eventually be seen it'll come to light whether and i think what's being said there is there is whether um it's good or bad it's going to come to light and it's going to be seen and exposed verse 18 i don't think well uh, verse 18 therefore take heed how you hear for whoever has them more will be given and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him so jesus is saying um, if you find the, um, if you turn on that light and uh, have that guidance to see and uh, spiritually, that is, then um, you'll see more and more, more and more will be exposed to you. That truth will be understood to you. But if you don't even have that spiritual light to um, to to the exposure of the truth, to the exposure of the way. Then even the little bit that you had, just like with the plants, just like with the seeds that were sown, what you have is going to be snatched away. You aren't going to even get even more from there. Verse 19, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. So it's that massive of a crowd that's following Jesus, that's interested in what Jesus is saying and doing, so much so that even his um, relatives can't get close to him, not even his mom and his brothers. Verse 20, And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. So just like um, human nature, if someone that gives a hoot about their parents or their family, particularly their mother, knows that their mom is looking for them, uh, and someone tells you that, that would be get someone's attention enough to say, Oh, mom is looking for me. Let me see what she needs. Um, so they've gone to Jesus, letting him know that his family's looking to get close to him. Um, but again, there's such a crowd, they can't. Verse 21, but he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So Jesus is there letting us know something I've come to realize. The family isn't all about blood ties, but instead it's about spiritual relations. It's about knowing uh, what gospel truth is, what it is God would have us know actually is, and making that what forms our family. That's the ties, the bonds we have. Um, not necessarily, not at all, exclusively. Maybe not even in some cases, those we're, we're um, blood relatives to. But instead, a spiritual bond is what actually forms our family. Um, instead, of um, blood being thicker than water, the faith being what's thicker than water, and what bonds our um, Christian family.
verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. He said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. So this was before we had any uh, uh, gas vehicles or e-vehicles like we have in modern times that we know of. The way people were getting around were by other means, generally walking or by some animal's back, horse, camel, so forth, elephant in some parts of the world. That's how people were traveling. Um, and they were by boat. So that's what Jesus is doing now. And he's telling the disciples, um, this is the route we're going to take. Jesus is serving as the GPS, letting them know that they're heading to the other side of the lake. Verse 23, but as they sailed, he fell asleep and a wind stormed down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. So just like that, even though they had Jesus with them, they seem to have fallen into some danger where uh, those storms of life are threatening them. There's um, water at raging and um, filling the boat that they're in. And they think that they're about, uh, it's about time. Uh, life's almost over for them. Verse 24, and they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. So when in need, they saw Jesus' help, um, begging him that uh, for his help because they think they're about to die. And if you've read with me before, and there are just a few of you who do read with me here on the Age of Truth, you understand already why I read the verses I did. Um, but what they're doing is, and what I think they're showing us is an example. That even though we're Christians, even though we have the faith, to know Jesus is with us wherever we go. It's still important to our relationship with Christ to seek Christ out, um, to seek Christ when we need that help, um, and to maybe even run to Christ when we need that help, knowing we still have Jesus with us, not maybe not always understanding why God would allow such troubles to happen when we have Jesus with us, but making it, I think, clear that no matter what, when those storms happen, Jesus is still with us and we should still seek Jesus' help. Verse 25, and they had the Jesus right there with them physically. We have to do it by faith, spiritually. Um, verse 25, but he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, what can this, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. So even though they now see again Jesus' power in being able to even manipulate nature itself, the wind, the wheat, the water, uh, the storm, the thing that was threatening them or that they felt threatened by anyway, uh, though in actuality, the big picture of things, it probably was never actually a threat at all. Why would God have had uh, Christ um appear to us in the flesh only to be drowned in a windstorm on the water. It wouldn't make sense in the big picture of things. So ultimately, they were never actually in danger. It reminds me of when I used to smoke weed. Um, I had tried to quit smoking weed uh, many times, um, but one of the last times I tried, um, I, I gave up once altogether with the pandemic since I saw the reports on how 
it affects breathing and how you add to any any sort of other dangerous factors to the equation and your chances of bad COVID, um, even lethal COVID, will increase. So thank God I gave up blunts at that time, that the tobacco element of weed smoking. Um, and then eventually gave up weed altogether. But um, one of the times I'd given it up, I'd gone months and months without smoking. Um, well, and I smoked weed a lot. I used to smoke a pound of it uh, very quickly. Uh, in just a couple of weeks usually, but sometimes. But anyway, my tolerance had built way, way up. That's how come I knew that it was time to just give it up. It wasn't even getting me so-called high anymore. I wasn't even enjoying it anymore, especially with the blunts. I was doing it out of habit, which, and then not to mention all the health um, risks you take when smoking tobaccos and such, at least according to the Surgeon General. Um, so I'd given it up, but... Uh, my tolerance was really high at that point. And um, I'd had weed, um, smoked it, smoked it with blunts, smoked it, uh, I'm sorry, had it with edibles even, and all sorts of different ways. So my tolerance was high, so I could do three or four edibles, you know, edible cannabis, um, and, and then could feel it, you know, enjoy the high or whatever. Um, but after I'd given it up for some months, I'd forgotten that my tolerance had would also go way, way down. So uh, a friend of mine gave me some uh, edibles and me thinking that my tolerance was still high, forgetting I'd gone without it for months. I just ate three or four of the chocolate edibles thinking, oh, it's nothing like, you know, I've done before. Those three or four edibles had me laid out thinking my time was up. It was that I wasn't going to make it. I really thought it was over. I'd laid out on my living room floor and was had every thought was that this is how I was going to be found and thought I was going to die. I thought I was about to meet Jesus. I thought it was over um, because the effects were just that powerful because I'd gone that long and my tolerance was so low. Um, but then I, you know, you do the self-talk, talk myself down and realize it's just weed. It, I'm just, I was just high and that, um, it would pass. Just give it time. And that's what happened, thank God. And realized I was never in any trouble in the first place. It was just, um, I thought, I believed I was in distress and that it was over. And I say all that to say, I think that's the same thing that's being shown with what the disciples were going to, through. They thought, they believed they were in danger. They thought they were about to perish. They thought time was up. In reality, they weren't in any danger at all. It's just their perception of the situation. It's the mind that made them believe that it was all over, even though they had the Savior right there with them. Um, and I think that's a, a, I think that's the point of that um, in what's happening with the disciples there in verse 25, to realize that some things will happen in life that are terrifying, scary, or at least seem that way. They'll be perceived as a danger to us. Um, but in the reality of it, uh, we're valuable to Christ, and Christ is with us. We need only seek that help sometimes, and sometimes not even then. We're going to read that. We read that with the widow of Nain. She didn't even seek any help when her son had died. Jesus instead sought her out and helped her out. So it's not always faith that moves Christ's hand in our favor, um, and sometimes uh, when we perceive there's a danger, 
Um, the first thing we should do is as the disciples did, seek Jesus and get help. Verse 26, then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. So now Jesus and the disciples are on the move, and they've um, made it to that area, the Gadarenes, and maybe Gergesenes, um, depending on your version of the scriptures. Verse 27, and when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. So this verse isn't red letters. It's not a quote from Jesus, in other words. But it is the narrator, presumably Luke, letting us know what's happening now and what was going on with the man that they're encountering now. Um, and when it says he had demons for a long time, it could mean spiritually demons, evil spirits haunting him, or it could mean figuratively like when you say someone was battling their own demons, gambling, addictions, all sorts of other different things in life. Whatever the case may be, the person is tormented. And uh, it seems also mentally tormented because he was going around about naked with no clothes on and hanging out in the tombs where graves are. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. So the person is recognizing Jesus' um, uh, divinity as the Son of God, uh, even though he's tormented with his demons. Again, whether spiritually or figuratively, or whatever the case may be, he still has clarity enough to realize who Jesus is. Um, and he's begging that Jesus does not torment him. So if we're talking spiritual demons, um, it's showing, telling us that Jesus has authority even over what's evil in the world. Verse 29, for he had not just the things of nature, like with the storms that they were just in, but also the spiritual powers in the world. Verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, uh, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. So that's how tormented the person was, that he'd even been bound basically in handcuffs, um, and but was so um, um, affected by the demonics at work in him that he was able to burst through them like the Hulk or something and still be driven by those demonics, by the things bugging him so much so that he was, um, hang that's why he was hanging out in the tombs. But Jesus had already, it seems, commanded the exorcism, the demons, the things that were bugging the man, to leave him alone. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. So Jesus is saying the strength, um, there was um, um, not just one singular entity, demonic, evil spirit tormenting him, but a whole team of them, a legion of them. Um, and that that's even the name of the demons that were haunting the man. Verse 31, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So the evil um, energies are recognizing Jesus' authority and even entreating him for um, mercy, compassion, 
to not just send them out wandering in that dimension um, known as the abyss. Um, so even they are seeking compassion from the Savior. Verse 32, now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would, would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. So the um, demons asked Jesus for that mercy to, instead of just wandering through basically space, it seems, um, instead to be able to inhabit the flesh. But since they've been cast out of a human being, um, they, um, they're they asking the permission, it seems, to instead um, possess the animals. Um, and I guess that's why, at least uh, black folks uh, of older generations sometimes have a fear of or an avoidance to cats. A lot of people believe in older generations that cats actually do carry those evil spirits with them. And um, if we see here that it's the, the um, pigs that are um, going to be uh, possessed by the demons. Um, but I think ultimately what both are, uh, what it's giving us is an example of that the animals have spirits too, and maybe even have the uh, ability to be possessed by evil and up to no good. Um, but not in the no good where like they're sitting, planning, plotting like that, but instead uh, the ability to be vessels to other entities also possessing them. Um, just my idea, at least that's how it reads, that's how it sounds to me. Um, but Jesus has given them what it is they requested even to go instead uh, of being wandering around in the abyss to instead possess those pigs, possess those animals. Verse 33, then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine and the ran herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. So uh, just like that, the demons were cast out of the human they were tormenting and instead given permission they requested and inhabited the pigs. But at, in the instant that they did, it seems the pigs uh, were tormented and instead of uh, living with it, wandering around in the tombs, being tormented, I don't know how it would, um, how that torment would manifest itself in the in nature but the way it manifested in those pigs was it made them commit suicide rather than um, deal with the torment probably something the human being also contemplated he probably wanted to kill himself being tormented by the demons um, but for whatever reason didn't probably so that this episode could be documented in the big picture of things but whatever the case may be, the pigs weren't having it. They killed themselves. Uh, they jumped in the water and uh, drowned. Verse 34, when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So it was a news flash when they saw that the herd of swine killed themselves in the water. News spread fast. Verse 35, then they went out to see what had happened. And came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So now they heard the report about the 
exorcism of exorcism of the demons from the man who they knew apparently had been hanging out in the tombs, but naked, tormented by his demons. So they come out to see what happened, and now that they hear he's all right, he's back in his right mind and sitting down like he's not gone crazy. And it was enough to terrify the people when they heard the report and came out and saw it was true. Verse 36. They also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon possessed was healed. So they heard the report. They went out to see if it's true. Then they see the man surely is relieved of his uh, torments. And also the report of how it happened is circulated. Verse 37, then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Tiberians asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. So when they got out there uh, and saw that there was relief from the person, the man who was demon-possessed and tormented all that time, instead of doing what you might think they'd do, say, hey, wow, he's powerful, Jesus has that power. Please stay here, live with us, and flex that kind of energy whenever we need it for all the things that come up in our lives. Instead, they aren't doing that at all, and they're not rejoicing at the relief that the person got either. Instead, they are scared, terrified even, and begging the Savior to leave. Not what you might think would happen when Jesus would appear, when Jesus shows up in human lives to relieve us of what it is we're dealing with. I think that's actually probably more likely to be what happens when Jesus does show up in our lives. Uh, actual people of faith and um, our Christian walks. It doesn't. It doesn't draw people and inspire people to be more faithful to convert to Christianity. Instead, it does seem to leave us more alone and leave us in a place where it is. Just us, just us walking with Jesus. Like he tells us in the Gospels, the um, path is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. But the way to the destruction, the popular way is broad. That broad way is the one that leads to destruction, the one that most people take. Verse 38, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, so now uh, the person who found relief from Jesus, with Jesus' help, they found relief through Jesus, I should say, uh, from those demons tormenting him, is asking Jesus, can he hang out with him? Can he stay with him? Can it be just us? Can we walk together? Uh, verse 39. But, um, but instead of Jesus telling him, yeah, come on, join me. Follow me like he does, um, like he did with other people who he who encountered. Uh, along the way. Instead, he said no. He told him, he sent him away and with a message, verse 39, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So I think what Jesus was showing us here by example, rather than just with words, but with his actions, is that it's not for everyone to be in the pulpit teaching. Instead, it's for some, maybe even most, to go out and testify, to share the way God has shown up in our lives and given us um, relief from the things tormenting us, which is basically the intent of what my reading here in The Naked Truth is for, to show 
to share the piece that I found um, in the red letters, in the actual gospel truth of what it is Jesus has to say, and that truth setting me free from the bondage of the belief systems that religion will teach instead. And even though a lot of it, like you said again in the end, there's lots of things in the Bible. Well, there's not is one religion. There's not just one faith system being set up in the Bible. There's at least three main ones, but there's all sorts of other faiths and entities um, being identified as God by people throughout the Bible. That's because it's not written by one person. It's written by many, many different people over many, many, many years. Um, but I believe, like I said before, it's it, each of these books are, are describing different people's interactions with the divine and with what they believe to have been God. But they don't all point to one singular God. We've read that again and again with our other daily readings. Verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So rather than embrace Jesus after they saw him exercise the demons from the man and hanging out in the tombs, they begged him to leave. So Jesus doesn't stay where he's not wanted. He's kept it moving. And where he's moved to, the people were there waiting for him. So even though some folks reject you, um, I think it's what Jesus is showing in one area. Don't let that stop you. Keep it moving. Keep the faith moving and sharing it uh, and take it somewhere else. Verse 41, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. So see, Jesus has kept it moving, and now that he, in keeping it moving, he's found someone who's seeking him, begging him even to come and join him at his house. Verse 42, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So someone is seeking Jesus' help. Jesus is willing to go and give it to him. While he's on the way, there's a huge crowd of people who also are on his flanks trying to get his help and his face time too. Verse 43. Now a woman having the flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. So among the crowd of people who are seeking Jesus' help as, he, as he's going to help the person who's, who had come to him, there's a woman there with a blood issue. She's bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, probably from her uh, lady parts, but it's not specified where, but since it mentions it's a woman with a flow of blood, it sounds like she's got uh, a heavy menstrual problem, heavy menstrual period problem, something along those lines. Probably beyond her period, though, if it's something like that where she's constantly bleeding. It's probably some sort of other um, um, gynecological problem she's dealing with um, and hasn't been able to get relief from any of the places she's gone to for help. Verse 44, but she, so now she's come to Jesus. 44, came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. So the woman with the blood issue is seeking help and um, it seems there's such a big crowd that um, the best she could do at that point was um, encourage herself to know that um, if she can even just get in physical touch with the border of his garments, just the edge of his clothing, that that would be enough to get her the help she needs. 
She knew she could tap into Jesus' healing power and energy if she could get that close. And we've gone over before why she'd probably do something else, do something like that by what we've read as the different regulations laid out in what we call the Old Testament. And the fact that a woman, when she is bleeding, um, it, it, particularly menstrual bleeding, but also bleeding at all from that part of her body, um, say, for instance, after giving birth, um, that she's considered unclean and she's supposed to socially distance herself. Um, she's considered unclean religiously and supposed to socially distance herself from society and not touch anyone, not touch anything holy for sure. And if she does, then it's also considered unclean. And and when it's when things are considered unclean religiously, it's like getting a speeding ticket. You um, have offended in the rules and regulations of the religion and you're imposed a fine, whether it be a cow, a chicken, a goat, whatever it, is, it may be, you have to cough up that, what's required, and submit it to the religious authorities um, to make right what how you've offended in their religion. So that's most likely why, another reason in her mind, why she could only touch the border of his garment, um, thinking, well, whatever, whoever she touches, she's going to make them unclean. So maybe she can minimize that um, exposure to her uncleanness by just touching the border of his garment. Again, religion, not anything Jesus said, but it is in the Bible, and that's what she's being bound by, that belief system. Verse 45, and, 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 but whatever the case may be, she was able to touch the hem of his garment and get the healing she believed she would get. She was relieved she was healed. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude, multitudes throng and press you. Do you say who touched me? So um, the disciples are saying, are you crazy? You see there's a huge crowd of people around you and you're wondering which one of them touched you. The whole crowd is doing all they can to touch you. Verse 46, but Jesus said, somebody touched me. For I perceive power going out from me. So Jesus is saying, yeah, he knows that there's a crowd of people trying to get close to him and touch him, but someone actually touched him with their faith. He realized that someone tapped into the energy of his power um, and was able to successfully do so because they got the healing they were seeking without even asking him. Verse, But Jesus still perceived it. I think that's the message for us, the sort of hidden message for us, that with faith, we're allowed, we're, with faith, we're able to tap into the help we need from Jesus when we use that faith. Verse 47, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. So the woman is so moved by the fact that she'd been dealing with that health issue, that bleeding, for all of those years, for all of that time. But in that instant of just being able to touch Jesus, the border of his garment, and being able to just have that contact with him, um, nothing like those doctor visits she arranged um, again and again and again and been disappointed by. But instead, with just the touching of the border of his garment, getting the relief she needed. It was enough to move her and terrify her and send her there trembling. 
And she confessed what it is that had happened and how she was healed. Verse 48, he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus is saying, God bless you, daughter. It's your faith that's helped you out in this situation and healed you. And tell her, peace be with you. Good for you. Go in peace. You're relieved of what it is that's been hounding you. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. So when we read this before in the other Gospels, like I said, I think what Jesus is showing us here is that just like when those storms uh, of life rise up and uh, threaten you, scare you, terrify you, think that make you believe that or perceive that things are dangerous and near death, or uh, whether things have been hounding you for a long time, whether it's like the man in the tombs, or whether it's a physical ailment, illness that's been bugging you for years, like with the woman. Um, whatever the case may be, when issues arise in our Christian walk, I think what Jesus is showing us is to come to Jesus. That's what we should do first and foremost. Um, since we don't have Jesus' physical presence to go to, we have to go to Jesus, go to God in prayer with our situations, whatever it is we're dealing with. Not because God doesn't see it, isn't aware of it, uh, doesn't know about it, but because we've been told to ask and we will receive. We're, we, it's up to us to show faithfulness in being um, obedient to what it is our relationship requires with Christ to get the responses that we seek in life, um, I think is what Jesus is showing us with these different interactions that people who need help are getting and how they're getting that help each in, in these different cases. Um, so um, the ruler of the synagogue, the person Jesus went to go help, has gotten bad news that while he's gone to get help, while he's waiting on the ambulance to get there, basically, while he's waiting for that help to arrive, his daughter's already gone. Verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. So I think what Jesus is showing us is when it is we're trying to have faith and seek that help from Christ, seek that relief from what it is we're dealing with, whatever the case may be. Sometimes things will come along and attempt to knock you out and punch your faith down and keep you from believing. So some, sometimes like things like bad news of saying, well, it's hopeless anyway. Go ahead and give it up, let it go. And I'm guilty of that in different things that have come up in my life and made me feel like, well, what's the point? It's time to give up and move on. And sometimes that's been the thing to do um, and to let a cause go. Um, but other times it's not, other times, Help is right around the corner. You don't even realize it. Um, so I think what Jesus is showing us here by this example is that the thing to do is to keep the faith. Have faith in God. Don't be afraid. Don't let what it is different um, uh, headlines or um, things that we perceive as news be what shakes our faith. Instead, hold on to our faith. Still hold on to our belief system. Um, and still seek that help from the source we believe we can get it from. Verse 51, when he had come into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. 
So again, I think what Jesus is showing us here is um, leading by example, not just with his words, but with his actions, that when it comes to um, some things, you have to block out all those other voices, those voices of doubt, those voices of disbelief, those faithless voices, and instead focus on what it is we're going to God for, what it is our Christian walk is seeking from Christ. And the thing he's showing also here, I think, is the example of don't just trust your children with strangers. Don't just trust your children even with anyone, even family members many times, maybe even more often. Um, so even just because someone is a place or uh, just because someone is part of a place you go to for spiritual guidance or that you trust to uh, be religious or um, faithful to God also, that doesn't mean you should trust them with your children. Leave them alone with your children. You should not do that. I think what Jesus is showing here is that you should protect your children, especially when you're seeking spiritual, also religious help um, from authorities. Don't just leave them alone with someone. Instead, Jesus isn't left alone with the little girl. He's got several of his disciples with him and the father and mother of the child so that all those different ugly things that um, religion has been shown to do to children when they can isolate them won't happen to this little girl. You can avoid it in that way from happening to your own child if you give a hoot about your child. Verse 52, now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. So the people who were there where Jesus is now showing up to know that the girl's already dead and that he's uh, late to the party. And so they're already mourning, and but Jesus isn't. Jesus, in Jesus' big picture view of things, the girl isn't dead, but instead sleeping. I think what Jesus is showing us there is that what that's what it's like for uh, Christians who pass away. That the world may perceive it as death, but in the eyes of God, in the big picture of things, it's only sleep. It's the physical body lying down sleep but the spiritual body still having life hereafter in some other dimension. Verse 53, and they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. So they said, call it laughing the scorn in the other gospels, meaning that when Jesus, they're laughing at Jesus thinking he's nuts. He thinks she's still alive, but we know she's dead. We already saw her die while he was on the way to get here. Verse 54, but he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. So Jesus put those doubting Thomases, put all those voices of dissent, all those doubters, all the faithless away from him. Separate the faithless away from us when it is we're seeking things that require faith. They won't help. They'll only damage our belief system or attempt to. So do as Jesus did. Separate ourselves when we find ourselves in that spiritual walk, part of our spiritual walk, where we're needing to walk by faith um, and hoping and believing for something to take place in our lives in our to assist us, help us, deliver us, and separate ourselves from those who don't believe, uh, who don't have the faith that we do, who aren't on the same team as we are when it comes to our faith walk. Sometimes that's necessary. Maybe even most of the time it's necessary. Um, but that's what Jesus has done. He's put out the faithless um, and um, approached the problem. 
he's talking to the little dead girl. Dead as far as they're concerned. Asleep as far as he's concerned. And commanding her to get up. Verse 56. Then her spirit returned and she arose and immediate and she arose immediately and he commanded that she be given something to eat. So uh, the little girl who's perceived as dead by all the people who were there before Jesus arrived on the scene um, has now responded to Jesus command to get up. She's risen up, resurrected, and is saying, according to the narrator, again, not red letters, but um, according to the narrator, it's her spirit that returned to her. So what the spirit is, is um, it depends on how you, what part of the Bible you use to um, um, to understand what the spirit is. Um, but whatever it is, according to the narrator, it's returned to her. Her life force has returned to her. Her light has returned to her. Um, um, uh, according to the uh, the Old Testament, as it's called, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. So, according to the narrator, if you by that definition, the light that's in her that searches out our 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 um, intents, the things that we're doing, and the intent behind them has returned to her. Um, and just like that, she's gotten back up. She's alive again, and Jesus is telling them, the crowd. Um, commanded, they give her something to eat. And that seems to be what happens again and again in the resurrection stories that we've read in the Old Testament. It seems part of that journey um, spiritually is um, uh, and, and causes a fear, severe hunger so that when people are resurrected, they have the hunger to eat. I think in the, in the non-spiritual sense, it's explained by um, science, doctors, one of the first things that happens when someone dies, when they pass away, is their body evacuates the bowels. Um, you push all your poop out, basically, in plain English. So in doing that, I could see that would leave your stomach empty. Jesus is saying, give her something to eat. Verse 56, and her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So the parents are amazed at the fact that their little girl who they knew had died is alive again. And she's alive just because Jesus took it upon himself uh, to help them out and had the power to relieve them and bring her back to life. Um, but again, instead of Jesus saying, go tell her on the mountain, he's telling them, keep it on the down low. Um, presumably because he there's other parts to his mission, uh, his ministry that need to be accomplished. And we know the opposition that's set up all along the way for him. From the time he was uh, in what we call the nativity in the cradle to the time he was hanging on the cross and even after he had opposition. Um, all the long way to the end of that ministry. Um, but it didn't stop the ministry. The ministry kept going. It's still alive today. That was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. And I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. Love you. See you next time. God bless you and peace be with you.